Hello, deconstruction community. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, a show that gives a platform for people to share their stories of surviving toxic religious environments. As a trigger warning, a lot of topics on this show will revolve around religious trauma, mental health, and spiritual abuse. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and I am here with Eleanor Skelton. She grew up in a controlling fundamentalist Christian household, and a few years ago, she escaped the IFB and moved out of her parents' house. Thank you so much, Eleanor, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I know. I'm really excited for this because it sounds like we grew up in a really similar environment. So for the first question, like, Tell me what your childhood was like regarding religion. So my parents have been part of IFB churches for a little bit before I was born. Um, My parents met, and it's strange, my dad was 25 and my mom was 13. And this is really weird for me and my siblings to know. I mean, they didn't date until my mom was 16 and then they married when my mom was 18 and my dad was 30. But still really strange um and it gives me like that weird child marriage feeling um and my mom had been involved and her family had been involved i think some church called spring branch bible church or spring branch baptist church in the houston area and they'd had people from gothard come speak and stuff like that and then my dad had gotten involved because he met them when he was going to dental school in the Houston area and he got to know her family and became involved in that. Before that, um, his family had mostly gone to like Methodist, General Baptist churches and tried to say traditional, but they had never really been super fundamentalist either. I would just categorize them as pretty much traditional. Um, my, my dad's dad had grown up Catholic and my mom's, I mean, my dad's mom had, um, also grown up like, I think either Methodist or Baptist, but it was just pretty average. It wasn't anything real crazy. And they had gotten, their whole family had like gotten saved in a Baptist revival in New York. And I think that would have been in 1958 because they were living in New York at that time. They were from Texas, but they moved up to New York during the Great Depression, and that was where my grandfather's job was, and they moved back to Texas um, in 1958. So they got had the, went to this revival, had this spiritual experience, and then ended up back in Texas, and then that's how eventually my mom and dad met. Um, and so when I was growing up, we were go- my parents were going to Wesco Bible Church. They had gone there for some time, and... My mom had also talked to them when she had had some marriage problems early on with my dad being controlling. And I think about a year before I was born, she had met with the pastor and his wife about some of the issues she was having with my dad. And one of the issues was that she really wanted kids and my dad didn't really want kids at that point. And so then part of them trying to work out the problem was I was born. (laughs) So that's how I came to be oh no I'm sorry they told you that um yeah because like I, I've met a few people they're like yeah they're like my parents told me that I wasn't meant to be here and I was like oh I'm sorry like that's really hard and rude Ugh. yeah so how do they exactly how do they say that to you how oh yeah we didn't plan to have you we didn't really want kids period but then again you have two other siblings so something happened yeah. Well, 
I, it's kind of like a little bit different than that, but like similar. It's more like uh, my mom really wanted kids and she wanted multiple kids. And my dad said he did and then kind of changed his mind as soon as my mom and dad were married. And then, yeah, the weird part for me is that, I mean, my mom wanted us. My mom wanted all of us. But my dad didn't want me for most of the early pregnancy. So the whole time my mom was pregnant, because, again, having me was, I think, a way to fix their marriage problems. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's the weird part. And so my dad would tell my mom, well, it's your baby. It's your baby. Like, and he just kind of threw it all back at her, like, oh, you wanted to do this. So mm, here we go. And then apparently when I was born, he cried. That's what I was told, was that he didn't want me the whole time. And then when I was born, he kind of changed his mind. And then he decided he wanted more kids. And when I was about four years old, I started asking if I could have a little brother or sister. And then they started, you know, trying to have a little brother or sister. And then my sister and brother came along. My brother was the surprise because they had so many issues trying to have my sister. They didn't think they could have another kid, but then my brother came along. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it is really weird to like have, know that the whole time my dad didn't want me and then all of a sudden he did. It's like, what? Like what? I don't know. It's just strange. Yeah, most definitely. Like that is interesting how he, it sounds like, yeah, he was very against kids, period. And then he suddenly changed his mind that's that's interesting I'm not I'm not gonna dig psychologically into that now I'll let you continue I love doing that kind of thing and like I'm not gonna dig into that but um because I've tried to like think about it myself and I'm just like I don't I don't quite understand I mean I know that he liked to travel I mean he was a dentist so he would go to different places like the Netherlands and then go to different mm-hmm. things in other places and use it for his continuing education so he just liked to travel with my mom I don't know if he was dishonest with my mom and said that he did want kids and then changed mm. his mind. I, I don't really know, but, and it's also hard to know because you only know just kind of what they're telling you because I wasn't born yet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so when I was two weeks old, um, they weren't liking the sermons at Westwood Bible Church as much. And so they decided to switch over to First Baptist Church of Beaumont. And that's where I grew up for early childhood was more just like general 90s evangelical Southern Baptist. And there were some families in our church who were denim and homeschooled, and we were one of them. But we were kind of fringe because most people in that church sent their kids to public school or private school. So, um, and I'm really glad that that is where I have some of my earliest memories of spirituality because I have some positive ones, like really strong positives, as well as some negatives, but it was more positive at that point then like I don't know I feel like if I had grown up just in the IFB in early childhood I think it would be much more negative yeah I would agree I grew up in the IFB so yes it would be terrible (laughs) yeah like we have those songs that you would clap and stuff like we will enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart and I thought that was fun as a little kid I was like yes we get to clap you know whereas the more conservative churches they won't do that like I've seen that where they don't clap or anything so yeah we had like you know general 90s CCM and stuff like that and they weren't super conservative we only play hymns type thing and so I really enjoyed that because I really connected with the music I music was always my favorite part of church 
and the church also put on a really big production downtown um, every year because they had a lot of they had a big membership and it was called the Wilmot Passion Play and so they would you know do this big Easter production and pretty much every year from when I was two to nine with a few exceptions we were there and we would go with my grandparents and a lot of times they would act out parts of it again on like Easter Sunday morning um, for people who couldn't afford to come and there are pictures of people like lined up outside getting ready to come in it was a big deal it was like any of the bigger plays that get put on in this town and um so that was like both good and bad like I really liked the happy parts of it as a kid and it, like it gave me an early love of theater but at the same time it was really scary to me and a good part of the play like a good chunk of it is just like Jesus being beaten and going to lots of different trials with Pilate and Herod and like being hurt and groaning and I was always told from the time I was really young whenever my parents needed to punish me or felt they needed to punish me I mean it could be something really minor but you know how it is with IFB yeah mm -hmm. um <laughs> so like it could be something like they wanted me to take a bath or go to bed and I was like no I'm gonna stay up like any normal four or five year old kid yeah like, oh no it's a sin and so they would beat me for it because it's hard to call it a spanking because it was really more than that mm -hmm. um and then they would be like well so now you have to apologize to mom and dad for sinning and now you also have to apologize to God and Jesus for sinning as well. And we only thank you, mm. but Jesus was crucified and had. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> this is so traumatic. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. Did they literally show you pictures like, this is what Jesus fucking did for you? See that nail on his fucking side bleeding? You did that to him. You did that, you little bitch. Apologize. <laughs> very similar i mean oh they would tell me that and they would be like jesus had nails driven in his hands and we only spank you so you got off easy and i would think about the play and how scary it was to me and i was like oh gosh like that guy at my church that that poor guy gets beat once a year and hung up on a cross because i talked back to my mom like ooh. Mm. so it was a lot and mm, yeah, that is. about mm -hmm. it but I've talked yeah. to the people who were in the play like and the guy who played Jesus now as an adult and they were very disturbed that my parents took me so young to the play um, and they were like wait wait you were how old <laughs> and so it's like that I now know that that's not something they would have encouraged but it's something my parents just kind of did um because we were kind of the fringe religious people even in like a regular evangelical church and then when I was 10 years old we moved to western Colorado and we started going to a small mountain church and it's only a town of like 800 people and about 120 people go to the church so it's kind of the central community thing up there and it's people of all kinds of denominations like it's Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, everybody who just kind of randomly moved up there because they wanted to be in the mountains they if they're religious at all and christian they go to that church and that was a pretty positive experience for me too overall again it was kind of just non-denominational general evangelical 
Um, and then we would get other families in the church involved in homeschooling and Becca because my mom was always advertising how great it was. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. And then once we moved to Dallas, because my dad had retired from being a dentist and then my brother was born and he's like, who retires and has a baby? That's weird. Also, I'm bored. I want to go back to work. So we moved to Dallas so he could be a dentist again. And that's when we looked and looked and looked. We searched, went to a whole bunch of different kinds of churches, regular Southern Baptist churches, different kinds. And we just didn't feel any, anywhere that we fit because we were used to that small community connection that we had living in Western Colorado and where people actually really helped each other whenever something went wrong. And my parents wanted that level of, you know, some, you know, some level of community. My dad always isolated us within any community we were in, but they wanted to feel like people were genuine, like they were in Western Colorado. And so we ended up at Rockwell Bible Church, which is an IFB church on the far east side of Dallas. And everybody there, when we walked in, pretty much everyone there homeschooled their kids. They all wore like these long skirts and braided their hair and looked like Little House on the Prairie. And they all sent their kids to Bob Jones, Pensacola, or Clearwater Christian. <laughs> back when Clearwater Christian still existed it was kind of like those were your choices yeah because once you said Clearwater I'm like oh yeah like I remember the announcement when they shut down basically and for me when when I was at Bob Jones I was like please just let me get through this before shutting down like please because my other options were not good like it was like Pensacola or Hiles Anderson so no (laughs) no (laughs) yes exactly no I get that yeah, and then we lived there um, from when I was 13 to 16, and then we moved back to Colorado Springs because my dad really did want to be in Colorado, but he wanted to do dentistry and still have a practice, and Colorado Springs was a big enough city to be able to do that in, so we moved there, and you know you have high speed and all this stuff, but one thing that people don't really know about Colorado Springs is like, yeah, it is in a liberal state, but it's like the red dot of the liberal state. So you have folks in the family up there, Compassion International, the Navigators, a whole bunch of Christian ministries up there. And it has like a feeling. And plus you have four military bases and military people tend to be more conservative, not always, but tend to be. So it kind of, it gives that town a certain kind of feeling. I could go on about Colorado Springs a lot. And we were concerned again, that we wouldn't find a place where we fit and so my parents asked people at rock bible church where we might be able to fit and so the people okay so you may actually know this guy but do you know a joe barton he does the talks on the evolution of a creationist oh really okay i don't think so no okay i thought you might know him because his daughters both go to Pensacola and he goes all over the country doing these talks. And it's talks, okay, it's like, I know I know about like Ken Ham, um, but this other guy, I don't know. Yeah, he's similar. And he he, he calls this stuff biblical discipleship ministries. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no thanks. Telling people about the evolution of a creationist and he does talks at all these churches. So he's traveled all over the US mm-hmm. and he used to be a dentist. So he and my dad vibed. And so my mom reached out to him and was like, hey, you know, you travel a lot, you're educated, you're a dentist, what, what church in Colorado Springs would be good for us? 
and they recommended two IFB churches. One of them was Mesa Hills Bible Church, and the other one was Grace Bible Church. And so we thought, okay, so my mom wrote them down, and she was gonna, we were going to try them out. And the first Sunday we were in Colorado Springs, our neighbors across the street went to the mega church, New Life Church, but they weren't sure if they wanted to keep going there. So they invited us to go to church at Briargate. And it was like a Pentecostal church and we didn't know. So we walked in and it was a, an apostolic, um, one of those uh, Assembly of God, apostolic Pentecostal. And they were like, everybody should speak in tongues. And my parents were very uh, They were like, no, this isn't the devil. So my mom leaned uh -huh. over and was like, kids, pray that nobody in this building can speak in tongues because we believe it's demonic. So we all <laughs> didn't speak in tongues. <laughs> which is like really weird and yeah. the even stranger part like like i have no explanation for this but the even weirder part was that nobody spoke in tongues the whole time and then right at the end of the service they said we feel like something is hindering us so if anyone would like to stay back and worship the rest of you can leave so my parents were like Whoop, that's our cue <laughs> so i guess they stayed back to speak in tongues i don't know uh interesting yeah we were definitely praying against it, which <laughs> is so strange. And then we ended up visiting Mesa Hills Bible Church and Grace Bible Church. And my parents liked the pastors of both, and they knew each other too, because I think they both gone to Bob Jones, both pastors. And so um, we ended up settling in at Grace Bible Church. And then I went there from when I was 16 to 22 years old, and that's the church I ended up getting kicked out of. And the kids there were not all homeschooled, but primarily homeschooled. And they all sent their kids to either a private school. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. The Classical Academy. Yeah, a bunch of the kids went to the Classical Academy. Or um, when, they, when they went to college, they sent them to the Master's College in California. Or um, there was like a list of several others. It was like Bob Jones, the Master's College. They weren't as pro-Pensacola, but they were still you know, they still had their list of like funding Christian colleges, but it was more like West Coast versus East Coast. Mm, yes. Like at my church, I attended Gospel Light Baptist Church, um, which is an IFB church in North Carolina. They would always have the most fundy college come and set up a booth at conferences we would have. Like Crown College was there. Um, Pensacola was there. Um, and it's funny because my church, they wouldn't allow Bob, they never asked Bob Jones because Bob Jones is not KJV only, like they're not fundy enough. So, so when Bob Jones isn't, when you, when your church looks down at Bob Jones, you know, it's crazy. Like that's a major red flag. <laughs> yes. And the funny thing, yes, definitely. The funny thing is that um, actually the pastor at Grace Bible Church was not KJV only and because he was a Bob Jones graduate. And he actually thought that Pensacola was really good, but a little bit too legalistic. So, yeah, I mean, the legalistic part, yeah, like it definitely is. Oh, wow. But still, Bob Jones is too, but Pensacola is, yeah, worse. It's funny how he was like, well, I like Bob Jones. Bob Jones is great, but Pensacola is too legalistic. Like, that's where he drew the line. Huh. Like, so strange. It's, it's weird how everyone in those groups draws lines at certain things, and that's their thing but it, it's just arbitrary it doesn't it has their own reasoning behind it it's not really anything that makes sense but mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and so at your time in the church explain to me like when you like started deconstructing 
and really what caused that deconstruction because I know deconstructing is different because I feel like a lot of us like it happens for a while but we don't realize it and then it comes to a point where we're actually conscious about it so if you can like look back and remember when was the time you first started doing that and why yeah that's a really good question um because I was actually talking to a friend of mine about this the other day I started to have questions well when I was a really little kid, I was just angry a lot. So when I was eight and nine, I was like, what if all this is made up because mom and dad just want me to follow rules, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, if you can look at, I'm sure as a kid, you saw how they used like the image of Jesus to manipulate you into obeying, like that's just terrible what they did. And really Christianity throughout all of history has been used as a control tactic uh, to bring structure into society um, and to have someone in control. And yeah, I won't get all into that, but yeah, I keep going, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. And so I was kind of like, well, if Santa Claus isn't real, like what about all this? Like, what if it's not real? And what if evolution's right? And because I was, I knew that books about evolution were kind of banned by my parents and they would always say, you can have this book, it has evolution in it. And then I would be like, oh, I'm going to read it anyway, because it has evolution in it. And I would be like mad. (laughs) So I had this early angsty phase and then some more traumatic things happened to me and I got really submissive. Um, Like, it's interesting to go back. I had to actually think about it recently and I was like oh so some childhood sexual assault happened to me and after that oh no I became less rebellious oh so um there like looking back it's just interesting when I've talked to my trauma counselor I was like oh I really changed Mm. I had been to a certain point where my parents thought I was going to be a really rebellious teenager and that would have made sense yeah and then I, I just became super meek and really submissive and tried to be really really good all the time and I had this really big kind of switch right around age 12 or so and so then I just tried to be really good and I would dress very colonial and I would sew my own dresses and all that kind of good stuff Uh Um, and I tried really hard to make what what I was told religion was work Um, but I also had questions and like things would bother me in high school like I would I was reading part of our well when we were at Rockwell Bible Church the pastor had a program called Victors in Christ and it had a book called The Holy War which was published by Proteins which is very very far-right conservative and it has stuff like you know you can't have any music with a syncopated beat because syncopated beats are disorderly and all disorder comes from the devil ergo syncopated beats come up from the devil (laughs) oh wow that that logic is interesting wow i told a logic professor about it in college because i wanted to know how it held up and he showed me where the logical fallacy was he's like this is the i think it was the fallacy of denying the middle and so he was like look this is literally bad logic and I was like, oh, shit, okay. <laughs> but that was years down the road. But that was what I was being told at that time. And around that time, I was reading, like, all of the Gospels right before Easter. And I thought it was weird that the time didn't add up across all four. And I was told that the Bible was perfect. And so yeah. I went to mm-hmm. the pastor's wife about it. I went to my mom about it, and she didn't have any answers. 
And so she said, you need to talk to the pastor's wife. So I was like, and I was even scared to even ask her a question like this because I thought she might think I had doubts or whatever. And I was like, hey, like, I just don't understand. Like, why is the time different in this one versus this one? And she did have like actually a reasonable explanation. She said, no, that makes sense why that would jar you. Um, and not, you know, you'd be like, well, what is this? And she said, basically, like, they're written to different audiences. So, like, the Gospel of Luke is written to, I think, a Roman audience. But Mark is written to a Jewish audience. And they kept time differently. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And so then I kind of proceeded on thinking, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm good now. But there were a lot of kind of traps set up for me. Mm -hmm. I feel like thought traps. I don't know what else to call them. It was these, like, kind of like the whole, we can't have syncopated music because it's of the devil. Um, it was like, well, Rebecca would teach you all this stuff, especially further on in, in high school. And it was stuff like, well, we can't believe in evolution because it contradicts Genesis. And if any part of the Bible is wrong, then the resurrection's not true. And then our faith is null and void. And so it was like, it all built up to like, oh mm-hmm. gosh, I can't ever question anything. Even the smallest thing can't yeah. be wrong. Because then that means the Bible is wrong. Mm-hmm. And like, it can't even be wrong in a small part. Because, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the resurrection. Ah! And freak out. So I would always avoid big questions for mm. a long time. And because anytime it would start into, oh gosh, we, you know, that's a thing that might be inaccurate. Oh God. Like it would give me this like really bad panic attack. (laughs) And so (laughs) I would just avoid that. So then, um, the, the next time I really started like further addressing thoughts and questions, I just started questioning with IFB beliefs because I knew how I was raised, like, as a younger kid, we didn't, we weren't nearly as strict. We wore shorts, you know, we weren't like crazy, crazy, crazy strict all the time on the modesty stuff and everything else. And my parents had actually changed over time. And when I tried to bring it up to them, they were like, oh, well, we used to believe that now, but like now we're trying to do this to be like more holy or something. And it didn't really make sense to me. So there was a, I, I had avoided listening to even the CCM artist I had liked before Rockwell Bible Church because it had caused a church split when he taught that and a bunch of people left. And then one of my friends, my best friend in the church had written a poem about how all the people that were leaving were deceived by the devil. And I didn't want her to think that I was deceived by the devil <laughs> and so, or that I was part of like the people persecuting our pastor. And so I was obviously on their side because I love these people and I I didn't want to be part of the drama or the anger. And so I had given listening to all these people for five years. Then I'm living in, that was, I had been in Dallas and then I'm living in Colorado Springs and starting to go to college. And I had just enough space because I was still living in my parents' house, still working at my dad's dental office but I had just enough mental space going to college and having those hours a day alone by myself to start to wonder, well, you know, that, that is really, really hard blind to ban all secular music. Maybe I could listen to like some of it. Maybe I shouldn't do like the hard rock cause that might be bad, but maybe I could like listen to CCM 
And the only radio I had allowed myself to listen to at that point was this super soft radio, like 90.9. And it was Keeping the Lord First. And no, 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 that was the one that was a little bit more of a beat. It was, um, I think it was Light Praise, something like Light Praise Radio Network. So I had like the, the most toned down CCM you could possibly find. And even when our, our friends from Rockwell Bible Church would come visit us, there was a particular family with 13 kids. And my mom would be like, well, yeah, Eleanor listens to radio sometimes, but only to the soft songs. They were kind of like, oh, kind of like I had failed in some way or was sinning. And it would like make me feel really panicky inside. Oh. I could see that look on their face. Mm. They thought I was yeah. sinning a little bit. And I was like, ah, I'm not trying to sin. Like, you guys, ah. So then I like, but once I was in college, I started going from just the, like light praise to the keeping the Lord first, which was like that radio network is across a bunch of stations. I think they have the Wally um, show and stuff on it. And they're a little bit more, you know, just like they probably play some Hillsong and stuff, but they have a little bit more of a, you know, songs with more of a beat. They play more like Jamie Grace and stuff like that. And then I went up another notch just to see if I could tolerate it. Cause I was trying to just feel it out there. And I went up another notch to the station it was like way FM and they would play Skillet and Disciple and like the hard stuff. And I mean, the hard stuff, like <laughs> the time that seemed really hardcore. And I remember really liking the Skillet song, Awaken Alive. And that was around 2011. So I was about two years into college. And that was when I really started exploring. And I knew, I, I knew this like homeschooled writers network called A Clean Well-Lighted Place. And they were really into fantasy writing and we all wore cloaks. And so I was getting really involved with them online and they would listen to stuff like Switchfoot and other things. So my music world started to expand. And then I was like, wait, this really resonates like with my experience and how could this be bad? And back then, because a lot of people thought Facebook was bad. So a lot of the homeschool kids had Google plus accounts. You might remember this. Like Google Buzz and Google Plus. I remember that was a thing. Wow. Um, yes. The good old days. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, that was better than having. Ugh, yeah. So, like when I'm, I remember posting some lyrics from a Switchfoot song on the Google Plus, and like I admitted to my friend Kathleen that I was starting to listen to some CCM and the music with more of syncopation. And I wasn't sure it was bad. And she was kind of like, yeah, I noticed you were doing that. <laughs> and I felt so awkward. There was yeah. like this pressure. Like, She's like, yeah, Eleanor, I knew you were a baddie. I knew you were a singer all along. And yeah. God's watching you. <laughs> oh, God, then, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> yes. And then she she's changed a lot now, too. Like, she now listens to, like, Taylor Swift and country. I mean, she doesn't care anymore. But she was still in that place. Because this is, like... 10 years ago you know mm -hmm. so then um around 2011 to 2012 is when I started reading Harry Potter and freaked my parents out and I was sneaking the movies from my college library home and they thought that I was allowing demon influences into their house so they raided my room uh, my fantasy books over the <gasps> break and then they started uh, opening all of my mail Oh, wow. Very invasive. So it escalated quickly. <laughs> and I tried to even hide books at a friend's house. And 
they made her meet us at the <sighs> ISD church and give them back so they could donate them to the library. Hmm. Interesting. I'm, I'm surprised they wouldn't want to burn them. Right? So they would recirculate. <laughs> can read them but not us yeah like they can have demons but not <laughs> us we don't fuck with demons <laughs> yes and they were like they told me i was addicted to harry potter and i was like oh okay it's or maybe it's just a really good story <laughs> like <laughs> or <laughs> so they were like you're addicted and i was like um okay so I was struggling and then they threatened to take away, they threatened to not let me go to college for that spring semester. They threatened to take away my car, which they owned and it wasn't in my name or anything. And they threatened to do a whole bunch of stuff. So, and oh, and my dad made me cut all my hair off because- What the fuck? <laughs> I know, which is like the opposite of most IFB dads. Yeah, please explain. Was it like a humiliation thing? Kind of, he always been a fan of me having really short hair for some weird reason. Mm. Like, you know. How, like, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know why. Like, since I was a kid, they would mm. always do my hair that way. And they would say, well, you don't take care of it. You can't have it longer. And I really wanted longer hair, actually. Mm -hmm. So then my siblings got involved in a Taekwondo group. And I got involved in it, too. And my dad decided we needed to learn self-defense. And the one of the Taekwondo instructors got my mom to read a book called Fight Like a Girl and Win. And the book said that women with longer hair are more likely to be assaulted. And so my dad decided that since I was going to college and stuff, if I had long hair, oh. I was more likely to be assaulted, which mm. is strange. Um, and so he was like, you have to cut off your hair. So I donated it to Locks of Love because mm. I, I was going to have to do it at needed to yeah. have a point. So, and it was the second time I donated to Locks of Love. Yeah. So I did that and um, I was really unhappy. And actually I made a friend by this point. Mm -hmm. She really helped my deconstruction because she was, I never had a friend like this before. <laughs> she was black and in a wheelchair. Oh, poor and I hadn't really had friends, but I had never had a friend that was so different than me. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so she noticed whenever we'd hang out in the library or we'd study together, like we started becoming friends because I shared notes with her. Mm -hmm. And whenever we hung out or studied together, I, you know, helped her type something or whatever. Um, she would notice I would panic every time my dad would call. And she was like, why? Like, what happens if you set a boundary and you just don't answer his call? I was like, then he'll get really mad. And because he wants me to go home and walk our dogs. And he'll get really mad and he'll take it out on my mom and siblings and then she was like what do you mean take it out on them and I was like well he doesn't like hurt us physically I mean he did really but I didn't realize it at that point that that wasn't just spankings so I was like I mean you know it's not like he beats my mom but I mean he just takes it out on us and we have to live with it for multiple days so I'd rather just try to fly under the radar and not deal with it and so um she was like you know that's not right that's not healthy and she said we have domestic violence shelters there's one called tessa right here in colorado springs and i was like no no, no it's not that bad she was like eh, if you ever mm -hmm. start to feel like it is here's some resources yeah she's like girly <laughs> yes <laughs> so she she started like planting some seeds and that was like as early as summer 2011 because mm -hmm. my dad had gotten really restrictive on me summer 2011 and didn't like me mm. being on campus. He got really mad 
in fall 2011 when I stayed late because I was trying to switch from one section of calculus to another and I told my parents what I was doing like I called and told them I was like hey I'm gonna be able to switch but I have to get this homework turned into this new professor because I've had this one guy for calc pre-calc and I liked his teaching style better I had this weird professor for calc one didn't like him at all and he was failing most of his class so and I, I had a passing grade, but it was still wasn't great. And it was like a 78. And I was like, I don't like this. I was getting A's in the other class. So I wanted to switch back and go to this night section of calculus that was taught by my pre-calc teacher. And I, my parents were a little upset because they didn't normally allow me to take classes at night. And I was like, look, this is the better instructor, like, for me. So just let me take this class that's like five to seven or whatever it was. So they were like, okay, fine. But they really wanted me home, like out of class by five all the time. And, um, but UCCS, my school had a lot of night classes. So sometimes like the better instructor was at night. And then um, I had to stay late to get the makeup homework turned in for that new professor so I wouldn't get docked on homework. And when my friends stayed with me from the math center and they were a tutor and they helped me do it, another friend, and we turned in the homework by midnight and then I went home and that friend walked me to my car. It was all good. My parents were pissed. Like I came home, they threatened to take away my car keys. I was like, look, this is what I'm doing to make the A's that you want me to get. Like I had a three point GPA. I was always making A's. And I was like, look, to keep getting the good grades you want me to get so I can, because they wanted me to go to dental school to be a dentist like my dad and work in the family business. So it was kind of like quiverful, but like, with an education twist. Interesting, yeah. They already planned out what they wanted for you to do. Yeah. So like we're some quiverful kids, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you have to work in your dad's business. It was the same thing, but it was mm-hmm. like go to dental school and then work in your dad's business. Yeah. Wow. So I was like, if you want me to get into dental school, I've got to get like I have to keep my GPA at 3.8, 3.9. And that's the only way I can do this. Oh drove me crazy. So that, that was all kind of warning signs towards the end. And then I was really stressed out spring semester 2012 and sneaking, well, my, my campus had started doing Harry Potter movie showings. So I was staying late telling my parents I had to study and I was actually going to see Harry Potter. <laughs> so, and they didn't know what I was doing, but they were really mad. And then I also went to like, a play that I wanted to go to that was actually, it was actually a Christian megachurch production, but it was, and it was an Easter play but I really wanted to go to it and it was they didn't our church would always talk about Grace Bible Church the pastor would always talk about how the mega church new life was a bad place and they weren't real Christians or whatever or like dog oh why she's talking huskies talk so you know (laughs) (laughs) so um they would always talk about how like the new life Christians weren't real Christians or whatever because, you know, they wore jeans to church or something. <laughs> There's some reason. Oh, and they allowed music that was like rock music, too. But I wanted to go to this play, even though it was done by New Life. And my dad was really mad. He was so mad that he paid a friend of mine her ticket money just to go with me and watch me and make sure, I guess, I didn't do anything I wasn't supposed to. Which I always felt like that was really oppressive and like yeah. I never got space like personal mm. space to just go do something yeah so we took a family vacation May of 2012 
and then my parents sprung it on me. They told me I couldn't take my laptop and talk to my online friends or have my cell phone. And I was in college, okay? Like, I was 22, but I couldn't... What the fuck? Oh, my (laughs) God. Oh, and Uh. they told me I had a new curfew. I had to go home at 7.30 p.m. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I had to have any college work done by 10.45 and have my shower done and be in bed. And then they had a list of household chores I was supposed to have done as well. Yes, and I have a contract they made me sign. I never <gasps> oh my. the contract, but I have this contract. Like, I know some people put it in their show notes on their podcast, so I have it if you want it. Oh my gosh, yes, please. I'm interested in this. Like, ugh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So like, mm. There was a lot. And I remember telling Cynthia Barham, she was my friend, the one who was black and in a wheelchair. And I remember telling her about it. I was like, so my parents came up with a new contract, and she was like, what now and then she read it and she was like like it's not as bad as it could be but it's it's a lot and so I would try to sneak and call her on the house phone when my parents weren't home and stuff like that and um at some point in oh yeah beginning of spring semester 2012 my parents blocked all of my closest friends on my cell phone because mm-hmm. I was on their family plan and so I could uh. call out so I had I could pull their number up in my phone and then I have to call them from the landline. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so they got used to answering random calls from campus and like my house <laughs> whatever other phone I could find to call them from. Yeah. And I'd be like, "Hi, it's me again." <laughs> yeah, like I can see them coming home, like because you know you said you would call when they were gone. They like like pick up the phone. They'd be like, "Eleanor, why is the phone warm?" Yeah. Eleanor, why the fuck? tell us or the phone moved an inch that way like why yeah. why like oh yeah. or sometimes I would um like well I was also well I'd struggled with mental health stuff and depression and suicidality since I was 14 off and on mm, it would have periods yeah. better but it was pretty bad mm, again wow. I felt like I had no space and so mm. part of the way I kept myself alive really was um I would usually call, usually my friends from the bedroom would sleep in. So I would like talk to one of my friends on Messenger for most of the morning while mm-hmm. she was at work. So I would G chat her and then I would call Cynthia Barham in the afternoon and talk to her all afternoon. Mm-hmm. And that was what I did winter break of like spring 2012 because yeah. I was stuck at home. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. My parents had my car keys and all they were opening all my mail and I felt Um, so trapped and I didn't know what everyone was like I think you just need to move out and I was like yeah I want to but I don't know how I'm going to support myself like how's this going to work I don't know what to do Mm -hmm. I I was sneaking my mom's iPad to type (laughs) because they'd taken my laptop and one time my mom realized I had the iPad and so then they took it with them oh no so that's not inaccurate because my mom did realize that I had the iPad Mm. and then um yeah so May of 2012 when I was without my laptop or cell phone on a family vacation in Maine they said we have a plan we've we've come up with something we're going to talk to you about something I was like oh good now what and I remember we were in the L.O. Bean store in Maine which is a store I love but we were in the L.O. Bean store and my parents were like, so we want you to go to Bob Jones. What do you think? And I was like, 
uh, well, we talked about that a long time ago when I was first choosing colleges, but now I'm happy at my college. I'm doing research. Like I was only doing chemistry. I was doing research. Yeah. I wanted to be involved with the student newspaper. I mm-hmm. had friends. I yeah. Like, I don't want to go now. Like I already know everybody. And they were like, well, we are just spiritually concerned for you. <laughs> you, know, you have all these friends who are like gay and not Christian and, and it's just concerning. We want you to be around good Christian influences and, and the Neds mm. think this is the best thing for you. That was the feeling of 13 kids. So they were like, this would be the best thing. And it's okay, thank you, good. My dogs are wrestling on the bed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> they're like, oh, they're like, they're like, we're going to wrestle. <laughs> in the evenings a lot of times yeah so yeah so that was their big big surprise and they even scheduled a visit for us to go see bob jones on fourth of july weekend and one of my friends was like oh gosh like happy independence day you get to go to bob jones uh, yeah mm. <laughs> so like one of our things that we do now every time we go to like fourth of july fireworks is like Fuck Bob Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I didn't have to go there. <laughs> That's like our big thing. It's like, or like one time she was like, burn Bob Jones, burn. Like, we went to see the <laughs> fireworks because it was an anniversary because I yeah. called the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, then I don't know. I, I visited the campus. I talked to one of the chemistry professors. My parents were really trying to convince me that I would like it just as well. And I was like, no, like I, I literally remember going in the library, going through the English building and feeling like I was dead inside. And I felt like if I have to go here and give up my school to go here, I think I might die. Like, yeah. Literally. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds dramatic, but. Oh, I know what you mean. Like, I feel like if I went to Pensacola, I would have like hung myself from a window and I like, or something like, uh, yes. I get it. Like, I, you know, people who, I feel like people who grew up in this kind of environment, they understand it. But some people who might listen and might, I think it'd be harder, but I definitely understand that. Like I had, to, there were so many things I had to do to stay sane at Bob Jones. Like it was, crazy but anyways you will not get into that keep going with your story yeah yeah that's exactly how I felt I was just like I I can't do this um and I thought about it for a bit we had two meetings with the pastor in late mid to late July 2012 one time my parents decided to go to a Sunday night service we didn't always go to Sunday night just sometimes but they decided to go to Sunday night service so I could talk to the pastor and after the service he was like well okay he's like what's the deal tell me what's going on and he'd been decent to me about answering questions most of the time when I was a teenager and everything I had kind of been avoiding going to church a lot of college because I would just say I have too much homework because honestly the church was making me miserable and it was getting more conservative mm-hmm. yeah. but I mean I'd been a good kid there was really no reason I'd given him no reason to think I was a bad kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and he, he also, that was another weird thing, was that, I, so I should also explain this, because it's important at this point of the story. My dad and his, like, our family had become pretty close to the pastor and their family, because he gave them a big discount on dental treatment and braces for all their kids. 
and they would see me at the front desk like because I was the receptionist a lot of times at my dad's office they knew me from that and whenever we had opened my dad's office when I was finishing up high school he was decided that this time when he opened his office it was going to be a Christian ministry and so the pastor had even come to our office okay my parents hung like focus on the family art all over the office so picture that first like George Washington praying that that and some other things and Bible verses. Oh my God! He came in and prayed with us over the opening of the office with the other employees. Uh, especially prayed that my dad would be. It's okay. That my dad would be able to, like, be vigilant in uh, Christian. That he would. They prayed that my dad would be vigilant in Christian warfare, spiritual warfare, uh, Mormon dentists in our community. Because hmm. there's a lot of Mormon dentists in Colorado. That's just so strange. Like they're so dramatic when it comes to those things. Like, oh my gosh, like what? Like I have told regular Christians, like the people who I grew up with down here, that this is what the pastor prayed. And they were like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> he he prayed what? Oh, okay. <laughs> he would be in in spiritual warfare against the Mormon dentists. Like, okay. <laughs> so you have to add that in. Plus mm, my dad yeah. figured out this trick because my dad made money being a dentist. And so he would make donations to the church and he would buy and donate a car to the church. Mm. But it was actually um, like a nicely gently used lexus for the pastor mm -hmm. and the other churches have always told my dad no we won't do that because he'd offered several times but they were like we're a nonprofit, and you can't designate a car to come mm -hmm. to the church when it goes to an individual mm. because that breaks the tax code and so mm -hmm. most churches were not willing to do it up till that point that church the pastor went before the elders and they said, okay, sure. We'll accept it. Mm -hmm. So my dad donated probably four or five cars that oh, were, my. he would, he had friends that were in the car dealership business. Mm -hmm. And so they were at the Lexus dealership and he would buy gently used Lexuses at good prices and give them to the pastor. And then he would also give them to our friends, the Neds in mm. Rockwell Bible church as well, but people with 13 kids. And they had all the yeah. kids go to Bob's in Pensacola too. So yeah. he was giving all these cars to these people. And then for a lot of them, he was getting a tax write-off. Uh. Yeah. But when you donate to a nonprofit, you're not supposed to say that it goes to this one person. Yeah. Interesting. But that's what breaks the tax code. So that's a problem. Um, so, so keep in mind, at this point, this pastor, as I'm talking to him, I have been the good kid, but my dad has given him cars and very cheap braces for a bunch of his five kids. So, of course, he's going to be biased towards my parents in this situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, he basically sat down and said, hey, is there something that's going on I'm not aware of? Um, you know, are you being physically or sexually abused? I mean, he did at least ask me that which sometimes doesn't even come up in these kind of churches. And I, I said, no, because at the time I didn't realize I was being physically abused. 
or had been physically abused in the past. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, but my dad's very like emotionally controlling. I can't have any life. Like I, I would just like to do my own thing Mm -hmm. and I can't do that. And he said, well, you know, we have to like, you're in a married young woman and you have to obey your parents until you have a husband and (laughs) husband. Yeah, then you're not free at all, still. (laughs) And I said, but I read some stuff, because even the Pearls wrote something about how when you were over 18, you didn't have to obey your parents anymore. You still need to honor them, but you didn't have to obey them. And so I said, well, okay, I'm 22. I would like to have my own career, you know, make job Mm -hmm. decisions and everything. Yeah. Like, I don't think I have to obey my parents anymore. And, you know, I still honor them, but there's a difference between honor and obey. And I've done research. And he said, no, they're the same thing. You have to obey. (laughs) So he said, look, he's like, if your parents were asking you to do something like wrong, then you could tell them no. But they're just asking you to change schools and go to Bob Jones. So that's not wrong. And that's not something that goes against the Bible. So you just need to go along and obey them and do it. And I was really unhappy, but I almost talked myself into it mentally. And then I even went to the physical because Bob Jones required, well, you probably had to do it too. You had to go to your doctor's office and do a physical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so get your I shots updated. Yeah. Uh, I went mm-hmm. to do that. And for mine, it was just a physical because I had all my shots. But um, they, the lady at the, at the front office for the doctor is like, oh, Eleanor, you're going to be going to Bob Jones. And I just burst out crying. I was really upset. She was oh, like, no. And I said, I don't want to go. My parents told me to go and I don't want to go. And I was just like sobbing. It finally just burst. And then I went back to see the nurse practitioner. She was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't want to go to Bob Jones. I don't want to leave my friends. And that was when it kind of all just fell apart. I, I told my parents I would try it, even though they knew, mm-hmm. like they, they basically kind of backed me into a corner and were pushing me to do it and talk to me about it every minute of every day. So yeah, of course, eventually most people are going to start to give in. So I went and talked to one of my professors. I was doing research that summer with one of my chemistry professors. And I said, hey, this is a problem I'm having and I don't know what to do. And she was like, oh my gosh. She was like, I've never even heard of Bob Jones before. It sounds like a used car dealership. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like you know like I just think you need to ask your heart what you want and to follow your heart and I was like oh I was taught that was bad because there was like a bible verse against following your heart and she was like what (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's like what the fuck what and so she told Dr. Phillips who I've been working for as a chemistry tutor because I've been a chemistry tutor for a few years on campus and so she told him and he was like he'd been my supervisor like as a chemistry mm-hmm. yeah and he looked it up and he said Eleanor do not go to Bob Jones he was like they are a cult if yes. you go there we can't rescue you mm-hmm. um we will try to help you move out because I went to a pretty like I mean it is part of the University of Colorado system but it's small enough that your professors know you and so they knew me well enough to be like no like, <laughs> they also knew I was a, a good student, you know, like, I had 3.9 GPA, yeah. they were just like, no, they were like, you, you don't do this, and they told me what you need to do right now, go get your own cell phone, 
like get off your family's plan because my parents mm-hmm. could family anywhere track me anywhere. Uh... and so they could tell if I like even where I was at within a building at my college they knew if I went uh, to talk to people that they didn't want me talking to. They knew where I drove because uh, I had my phone with me. And so, yeah. And they used to block numbers of people I needed to talk to that yeah. were supporting me wow. and rebelling against them and mm, setting boundaries. And wow. they used it to track me by GPS. So he said, get your own phone. Like, do not, you know, even if it's a cheap flip phone. He was like, don't let your parents have it. Um, give them back their phones. So they can't track you anymore. And you need a plan to move out. Mm-hmm. And my parents had stopped letting me use the car. So I was having to get rides into school and everything yeah. at that point to do my research. And so <laughs> that's when it all really started to come down and crumble. And so, um, let's see. I'm trying to remember the exact order. Because it's like a bunch of puzzle pieces just kind of came down. But it was like in individual portions. So I went and looked at different apartments to try to live in. I started looking at places to go and my parents were upset. At one point my parents came to my mom and sister came to pick me up at college after research and my mom said, So um your dad told me to do this, but we've emptied your because I had a college savings account that some of it was my money that I'd earned working for my parents. My parents were on it. Because it was an account that you set up for somebody who's under 21, but I was barely over 21. Yeah. But they were still on my account. Yeah. And so my mom said that uh, we have gotten advice that we cannot enable you to uh, rebel against the family using the money that, like, we let you earn and, like, <laughs> you. So we have emptied your account. And that was I thought about trying to move my money out, but I didn't think they'd actually go that far. Oh, wow. You were, mm, you're, yeah, that's, that's yeah. insane. This is a psycho yeah. move. Very yeah. awful too. Like you've worked so hard to earn that and yes, through your own hard work yes. and they take, wow. Cause for me, like I waited to get a bank account until I knew I could just be on it and my parents could never be on it. So I waited till I was 18 to open a checking account and I never put my parents on it <laughs> ever. Yes. And my mm. parents were on my checking too. And so they didn't touch that, but I, and after that I had to go, I went down pound to the, to the branch of UBS. Cause that's where my investment account was in. And I said, look, I need my money back. Can you put it back? It belongs to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, no, because y'all were joint on the account. Mm. So they wouldn't give it back to me. Um, also now they have rules I've noticed because I've been told whenever I go to the bank and talk about mm-hmm. different accounts now, they said, oh yeah, you can set up your account now. So like if, even if you have two people on the account, if one person moves to withdraw like more than 50% of it at once, they have to notify the other person. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I think because too many people had messy things happen with divorces. <clears throat> yeah. Like mm. I had happen. But they, yeah. they even have things to set up now to mm. where that can't happen anymore. Yeah. But it wasn't in place at that point for me. That's and rough. Yeah. I, I remember feeling like frozen that like I had just lost everything, every penny. And yeah. I my car because my parents had owned the title to my car and they just let me drive it. But 
you know, they said it was my car, but they weren't going to let me have it if I was going to rebel against them. So I couldn't do that. I went to my professors and I was like, what do I do? Um, and my professor said, okay, when you, when you find out how much it is to move in, let me know and I'll pay your deposit. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. And so that's how I was able to get that far. And so I found a roommate. It wasn't the best roommate situation, but I needed to get out of my bad situation. You're like, anything is better. You're like, anything yes. else. Yes. So I got a roommate. My other friends, um, I had these friends that were like very liberal and it was disorienting to me around them. One of them was my college classmate. And <laughs> at the time it seemed extreme to me. It's just really weird. Cause now like, I do agree a lot with this perspective, but they had like very big Obama stickers on the back of their car. She was <laughs> yeah. mom, and mm-hmm. they're very like earthy hippie Colorado people. And they were like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe your parents are doing this to you. What is their pastor telling them? How is he controlling them to get them to do this to you? And they thought this was really crazy. And they said, Oh my gosh, maybe this is part of a bigger thing that the Republicans are trying to oppress women. <laughs> and like, <laughs> oh, I mean, wow. They weren't really wrong. <laughs> no, they're not. No, I don't. They were like, immediately like they were like conspiracy theory, but like it was so strange to me because like I was raised to think that Democrats are persecuting Christians. Yeah. And mm-hmm. They come along being like, oh my gosh, the Republicans are taking away women's rights. And yeah. Like, this is so strange. It's like the other side of the mm. same coin. Yeah. It was really weird mm-hmm. to like hear that. And so they were helping me. They helped, they took me to a bike shop. They helped me get a bike. They had like a used bike that I could use to at least go to campus. They didn't have a car. Um, they got me bike gloves and a rain jacket and like helped me get ready for the elements. Um, and then I had one final talk with our pastor and it was, I think a week later. So it was like the next Sunday night. And it was the very last Sunday in July. And he, I told him, I was like, look, I really don't see another way like around this. Like, I think it is, I have prayed. I have sought God's will. I have done all these things. Mm-hmm. I think God's will is for me to stay at UCCS. And I think this is where I'm planted. This is where I need to be. This is where my friends are. I know there are some bad influences, but I can be a good influence too. And this is my decision. And he said, well, if you reminds me enough, you know, I basically like don't have anything else to say to you, you know, and he mm-hmm. was really cold and unfeeling. And he told me that I was letting Satan deceive me <laughs> and he walked away. And I started sobbing because I'd always been the good kid mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. And I had never been spoken to by a pastor like that. And even though he didn't say it, like, I I mean, Mm -hmm. we all know. If you grew up in IFB culture, once a pastor said something like that to you, you're under church discipline, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I knew it was over at that point once he said that to me. I didn't want to go through the other steps of being church disciplined because I already knew you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you have like a different status in the church. It has, it's because it's really, it's a cult. Yeah. And <laughs> when people don't fall into line, they're seen as almost like, oh, well, they're about to fall away or they're not conforming. They're like becoming the enemy. Like we can't, they can't be a part of us anymore. Or if they want to be, we have to like punish them and make sure they stay in line and all this exactly. stuff. But yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be allowed to like 
even if I came back to the church afterwards and tried to be with everybody afterwards, I knew that I wouldn't be able to be in the nursery or like volunteer or do be involved at that same level that I had, you know, been, I wanted to get more involved because my dad was kind of isolationist even within the church. So he didn't let us get super involved. I wanted to be involved, but I knew I couldn't be, even if like I tried to come back on my own. So I was really crying. I was really upset. I was crying a lot. And my mom came in and she said, what's wrong? And I said, do you realize you've, you've made it so I cannot come back here? Like you guys have done. And Mm -hmm. she was really confused and didn't know what to say. And I went home with them and I was packing stuff and I was putting Mm -hmm. boxes in the hallway and I was preparing to leave. And on August 1st, I decided I was going to sign the lease. They were trying to talk me out of it. I signed the Mm -hmm. lease with my roommate and um, put down the deposit. My my professor gave me the money. Mm -hmm. I was able to put it down. um, And I paid most of the deposit. And then um, my, I texted a bunch of friends who had all told me they were going to help me. And they were all like other classmates. And so mm-hmm. I was like, hey, um, and because my parents changed, the, changed their mind, like huh. changing things as we went along. Oh, yeah. Because they're like, oh, we can't control you anymore with this. <laughs> so we have to change some things. Oh, it's not working. <laughs> yes. So they were like, well, if you're going to leave anyway, okay, we have to have all your stuff out of the house by 5 p.m anything you want we're locking the door at 5 p.m <gasps> oh my gosh what yeah. pricks oh my god so I was like oh gosh so I texted my friends in like a hurry and I did the like copy text copy text copy text that like all these different people and yeah like, my and, you know it was like two o'clock in the afternoon I said hey I've been putting stuff on the porch um uh, my parents are locking the door at 5 p.m can you come as soon as possible so I can get as much of my stuff out but then seven of my friends showed up in five different cars <laughs> and because they did. My parents didn't want to look bad. So they didn't shut the door at five because there's more of my friends than there are of my family members. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so they all show up and we're carrying all my stuff out. My parents mm-hmm. didn't let me take my desk or the dresser um, that they had given me or my bed. Uh, <laughs> most of my furniture. But I found it on Craigslist. Like I found a bed on Craigslist. Oh, worked. good. Mm-hmm. I found a bookcase. Yeah. Um, I took like my banker's rack. It was like a little bookcase I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but some things I could take. Um, and I got most of my clothes. Like pretty much everything that was important for the most part, I was able to take with me. I wasn't able to take my identifying documents, like my birth certificate stuff, because my mm. parents didn't have them. Oh. They had taken them to put them in a safety deposit box <sighs> during the Walmart fire evacuation that summer. So when I asked for them back, they said, no, we won't let you have them because you're rebelling. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So, but I made it out. We got settled around seven o'clock and well, I guess we left my friend's house around seven. Then we got settled in, you know, my apartment with a bunch of boxes in the living room around like eight, nine o'clock. And um, yeah, that was that. And then I ended up going to a writer's conference that my dad had not let me go to but I was able to go to the oh, writer's conference mm-hmm. um that was the homeschooled Christian writers that were folks mm-hmm. <laughs> like I yeah. went up and did that in the mountains we called it moot and that was really fun I'd never been able to do anything like that before mm-hmm. I started working at the student newspaper on campus which my dad hadn't let me do um the first couple years were pretty rocky like 
there was a lot more deconstruction like out of nowhere it would just hit me sometimes mm, like yeah i would have random panic attacks about different things the whole first year i pretty much consider myself christian but like not fundamentalist like mm-hmm. i'm christian but i'm not evangelical i tried visiting a bunch of different churches that were within walking distance yeah. of my apartment and i didn't really it just didn't really work i don't know it was okay but even the generic evangelical churches weren't and i tried one like i tried new life church and that was the best so i would go anytime i felt like i just wanted to go to church i would go there but a lot of times i just wouldn't go because there was no place that felt like home to me mm-hmm. or that felt like i had that acceptance that community um, again yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't feel that anywhere. And so I was looking for something that felt safe and I started getting involved in that play that new life did the thorn to work through my nightmares involving the Easter play as a kid. I got involved in that play and I was, I was in counseling and I was talking to a counselor. I know the code my counselor put down was something about separation from parents and boundaries. It was like one of the counselor codes because I had to get Mm -hmm. I had to drop some classes too because I would just get overwhelmed and depressed and so I had to go submit a letter that I'd been in counseling when I would drop these classes and that was the code he would put on there for like what I had been working on Mm -hmm. so I saw I oh also a Christian counselor had kind of helped me realize I needed to move out and I saw him sometimes he would be retired sometimes and sometimes not so but he was the one who first started like about 2011 into 2011. He also talked with my sister some in 2011. He was telling me like, cause I was really trapped at that point. And he said, you know, you, you, when you talk, it's all these shoulds and musts and what you feel like you have to do and duty. And he said, that's not freedom. And that's not where Christ wants you to be. So even though, like as a Christian, he was like, this is not, <laughs> you know, and that had stuck with me through this whole process, what he had told me and made me feel like, because I asked him sometimes, do you think I should move out? And he said, you need to ask yourself that. And you need to ask yourself if you're willing to pay the cost of that. Because he kind of figured that there would be some kind of thing that I would have to deal with if I tried that based on the level of control that I had in my life. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah the first couple years were pretty rough um lots of housing instability and financial instability and working student jobs and trying to Mm. find other side jobs but the economy was really pretty bad for that yeah my experience was working for my dad Uh, i didn't have a lot of job experience and i think it like the ref like having a reference from someone too like we know your dad wasn't going to do that for you. Oh, exactly. Anytime yeah. people ask me, like, well, why'd you quit working for your dad? They kind of ask it pointedly. And I was like, oh, I wanted mm-hmm. to branch out outside the family business. And I try to, like, play it off. But it was really awkward. And so, or I tell them, oh, I just couldn't work full time anymore for my dad's office because I was fully focused on school and being a senior in college. Like, I had to have some kind of way to try to explain it. And it was bad so I applied for a bunch of coffee shops because I really wanted to do that Mm -hmm. but it was just hard it was really hard I finally got some more jobs and like in summer 2013 I had three jobs I had a weekend job at Subway I worked for this financial um it was like a fine they basically did billing for physicians so I did like graphic design for them 
And then I had a night job too. So I was like working, working, working. And then the night job was something, it was kind of like, actually, you know, it's like that app Clover where you can support small businesses. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you know, you're like, you run your number. It was like an early version of that in 2015. Mm -hmm. And my roommate shared the other one. And my roommate was also ex-fundamentalist. So Mm -hmm. we had a lot in common and we're processing a lot together. I had these friends who were kind of in the process of leaving the Pentecostal church at the time. And so we would process a lot of things together, but they had their own kind of stuff going on with some of the Pentecostal beliefs being different. And we all just kind of banded together. Then we started helping other people move out. So like when one of the Pentecostal people was ready to leave, we all banded together and like helped. And like uh, my friend in the wheelchair let us use her van to like move all her stuff out Mm -hmm. like that's how we kind of started our little informal network where we would help other people whenever we found somebody oh that's so great yeah we were like get you out of there and then we did it multiple multiple times and we would get people out Mm -hmm. and that made me feel special like I felt like I was like a secret agent like coming into like (laughs) yeah from the IFB Mm -hmm. yeah I got like a really big adrenaline rush from it I had to learn that like I I couldn't do it all the time but it gave me this big brush every time I got to go do it. Um, so I had to like set boundaries with myself and like, you know, um, have balance to that too. But it's still something that is important to me. Um, and then about 2013-ish, 2014, I started asking the bigger questions. Like, how do we know any of this is real? how do we know, like, it was more than just, okay, I'm Christian, but not Fundy. It was like, how do I know God exists? Like, what if everything I have perceived to this point that seems spiritual is all a lie? What if it's all my perception? Mm-hmm. What if it's yeah. fake? Like, all those kind of big questions. And I would get really bad panic attacks. Like, I got really depressed. Um, I think it was fall 2013 because I had this one really bad panic of like, what if all the religions are wrong and uh, nobody has the path to salvation and we're all going to hell? Oh no. So I would get myself into like these really mm-hmm. bad, bad spirals. And it, there was all those like kind of thought traps. Like, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like oh yeah. No. Like, so if you don't believe XYZ things, then the resurrection isn't true and your faith is dead. Ah. yeah because like you know you're so indoctrinated um into and really they make you become so emotionally dependent on these doctrines and they a lot of these religions across the world like they meet a lot of psychological and emotional needs and that's you know that's not an accident like these people weren't stupid who were creating these religions um i think a lot of these religions were created to control people when it gets down to it and um, to try, I guess, also to, for me, I especially like regarding the Bible, as I've gotten older and like deconstructing, analyzing it, I really noticed how it really like keeps the poor oppressed, like a bigger authority, you know, and even in the New, Te- in the New Testament, it talks about like obeying your master, like talking to slaves, like obey your master, like, you know, even the New Testament, like, they didn't try to free slaves at all. <laughs> it was still like slaves obey your master. So like, and also like 
the poor were supposed to, you know, like, oh, like, you know, this is a short life and then we're going to have riches in heaven. So don't worry about it. And, you know, rich people aren't going to be in heaven. So like, there's so many reasons to be poor and to just take what happens to you in life and just go with it and obey higher authority. So once I got older and I saw that, okay, like this religion really benefits those in power and those in high authority, it really helps really keep structure and keeps everyone in line, really. And that's kind of what I've noticed a lot um, as I've gotten older. And that reading makes sense. Like, I have flipped a lot of the script, and so the parts of it that still are good for me are, like, the subversive parts. But I can totally see a reading of it the other way, too. Like, I have intentionally gone to make it kind of go another way <laughs> but yeah because they see like my favorite parts now are like the part in micah where they're like don't oppress the poor you asshole rich people and i'm like yes yes but like i mean there are the other verses though about like obey your masters and stuff so it's really interesting it's like how you read it too yeah and what what you emphasize is the important part yeah and there's, there's a lot of contradictory messaging in the bible mm -hmm. too <laughs> a lot so yeah yeah exactly and so it's kind of like if those parts are the parts that feel biggest to you and the most important then you're going to view it through like a progressive mm -hmm. yeah this lens yeah and you're going to see it as like oh actually maybe pro-socialism Whereas like a conservative reads yeah. it, and you're like, oh no 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 no. <laughs> yeah, because like your your perception really does affect reality, um, and I think that is something that fundamentalists struggle with, because they like to say how the Holy Spirit, you know, like I remember when I was deconstructing, really I guess in my teen years when I would I tried ordering different books. And then when my dad realized that he like took them away from me because he didn't like the information I was getting. Um, but I remember him saying like, oh, are they Christian? I'm like, no, he's like, well, he's like, they can't interpret the Bible correctly because they don't have the Holy Spirit. And it's like, and as I got older, I'm like, you know what? Christians can't even agree on an interpretation of the Bible. And y'all supposedly have the Holy Spirit. I'm like, if y'all really had the Holy Spirit, you would all have the same interpretation, but you don't because you all have your own perceptions that affect it. And you're also emotional <laughs> about it and all these things. Ugh. Yes, I agree. It, it's, mm, they act like it's very simple and there's one way to understand it, but there's actually, it's really not like, no, no. Mm -mm. Yeah. So, um, 2014, 2015 was hard for me. Um, I was finishing up college finally because I had to slow down on some of my classes because I had to work too and also pay rent and all that good stuff. Um, I finally did finish, even though my parents said I would never be able to graduate without them if I didn't go to Oh my gosh. They did say that. Like I would get upset when I would panic and think maybe I can't finish school, maybe I'm stuck. And I would just climb. There's this mountain trail in Colorado Springs called the mm -hmm. Incline where you climb like straight up the mountain. Oh, wow. And when mm -hmm. I would get upset, I would do the incline. And then I'd be like, because it, it was a path that you felt like, oh, my lungs are burning. It's so high. Yeah. It's so steep. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. And then you would get to the top and you're like, oh my gosh, I did it. Yeah. And that's what college is like. Like, I, even though this is really hard and this isn't like what I'm used to, I can still balance doing school and work because that was a hard thing. I could get really good grades if I didn't have to work or anything. 
But once I had that kink thrown in my schedule and was trying to do life and adulting and all the stuff I was never trained to do and everything else, it was just hard. So then um, I also started dating people around that time and I didn't really know how to date good people. And my dating was very chaotic. And I also found out that I'm bisexual. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of things happened all around that same time. Yeah. And it was very disorienting and I wasn't out yet. And I had been dating a girl and like all this stuff. And I also dated a guy and like, I wasn't telling my parents about any of this. And then the people, a lot of people I dated weren't really good for me and Mm -hmm. were either like physically or emotionally abusive. And I didn't know better. Yeah. I mean, that's what you experienced growing up. Yes. Like, mm. (laughs) but it wasn't really, it was just a different flavor. Mm-hmm. And also, I didn't know yet that, um, so I'm actually autistic, and I didn't know, and sometimes mm-hmm. that can make you yeah. blinder to... Oh, yeah, the social cues and different yeah, things. Yeah, mm-hmm. being manipulative, like, you mm-hmm. don't pick up on it right away. Yeah. So, that was difficult, and then um, I ended up moving back to Texas, because I really wanted to work in journalism, and I got a job at a newspaper, and... Um, around that time my parents also had moved to South Carolina to be near Bob Jones to get my brother to go to the Bob Jones high school and my sister to go to Bob Jones well she'd been going there for a little bit but then they were like oh let's just relocate our whole family to Bob Jones and I had reconnected with the church people here from when Mm -hmm. I was a little kid because that was the early positive experience I could remember and I was thinking if I ever did church again that would be the church was my first church because I remember feeling safe around those people. And that's the only place that felt like home. And so um, it's actually been really good. I mean, there's been a few people that, you know, but I mean, there's that in every group, but there's some untrustworthy people, but the people that I have really deeply connected with have been really safe, good people. And they've been okay with the fact that I was like, I mean, I remember telling the guy who played Jesus when I was a kid, I came into his office one day, I was like, okay, I'm going to be really honest. Some days I don't know if God exists. Like, mm-hmm. I'm being really for yeah. And I can't believe in an abuse of God anymore. I just can't. I Like, it's not happening. So tell me what you think God's really like, because I can't believe in this God. And, like, it makes me cry to think about, because it was really oh. hard for me at that mm, point. Um, yeah. And I had so many feelings wrapped up in all of it. And... So they they were really, really kind. And they were kind of like, you know, it's okay wherever you're at. You know, your other church experience sounds horrible. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's really horrible. Not like, yeah. oh, it's horrible, but join our group. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. They were like, no, really, like, actually empathetic. And I told myself I would only get involved as far as what I was comfortable with. Like, mm-hmm. the level I was comfortable with. I was never going to let myself get so deep in again that I felt obligated to do church things just because they were church activities. And they respected those boundaries. They were like, it's fine, you know. Um, and so it's been a really, really good community experience for me to, like, have that religious community. Um, mm-hmm. And also, like, I'm into a lot of other things now, too. Like, I... 
like Vestral tarot cards and I have Ooh. crystals and incense yes. and like evil witchcraft things. Um, <laughs> and I've like really branched out there too. And, yeah. I don't know. I guess I, I consider myself more of a spiritual person. Like there are certain parts of mm-hmm. Christianity that I think I really like. I'm not saying that everyone should or has to believe them, mm-hmm. but they're valuable for me on a personal level. Um, but I'm a lot more open now. Like, like it, as I start, you're, you're spiritually more, liberated. It sounds like, honestly. Yeah. I think that's really accurate. It, it was like, I went from, oh my gosh, here's all these rules. I have to do this thing. Here's how it is to, okay, this is what works for me. And I'm just going to be good with that. Even if I am one of those like evil people they talked about in the IFB world. <laughs> and so um, yeah, so I worked in journalism um, for a while after college, and then last year I became a teacher, and I still do freelance journalism on the side, and that's pretty much where I've been at. So anything else that you want to ask? <laughs> that's kind of the basics. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I, yeah, thank you for sharing your story. I think one last, you know, quick last question is like, what advice do you have for people who, who are stuck in a situation like you used to be in um definitely get your own bank account (laughs) early on (laughs) and use your resources like one of my professors um so one of my professors had given me the money to get the deposit but another professor found like he had a car that his mom couldn't drive anymore she was elderly and he said hey i'll sell you this car for like three thousand dollars and it was 1996 Toyota Avalon, so it was older, but it only had 20,000 miles on it. I put oh, miles on okay. that thing. <laughs> yeah. I loved that car. It was great. And it was mine. It was something that my parents couldn't take from me. And I actually negotiated with my parents to get some of the money that they'd taken back so that I could buy the car. And so, like, use your network once you're out. Like, and if you, like, it may be the network to build a network too outside of oh yes that helped me so much Mm, yeah and then like ask them like hey do you know anybody that's selling a car do you because those people were not church people but they all came around me and helped me get a bike i mean most of them Mm -hmm. were like atheists or agnostic yeah even religious yeah they helped me get a bike Mm -hmm. um one of my chemistry professors recommended I explore Buddhism and meditation, and she said it might help give me peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Professor suggested I try yoga, and I was like, "Is is it evil?" And she was like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> uh, I know because you're so indoctrinated. Like meditation has been incredible uh, for me. Like I've 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 been meditating since I was like 13 years old. Like I would do it in secret a lot yeah. just to cope and deal with things at home. And I mean, like I definitely relate because like there's a different, I think they call it your spiritual, but not religious or non-religious. And that's kind of where I would say I'm at because, you know, Buddhism and meditation is something I've been attracted to. And um, I mean, not to freak people out, but like, I've been looking into Satanism, (laughs) which I know people like freak out, but like, there's a lot of connotation around what modern Satanism is. And, I, and I've been really surprised when I'm like, I have the satanic Bible, I've been reading it. And I was like, shit, I'm like, this is not what I expected no, <laughs> at no, all. Like, it's not. I, mean, I thought it would be super evil, like sacrificing babies or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's like, it's kind of like human. It's philosophy. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. 
And like, I know people have accused the author of stealing philosophy from different people and hashing it in his book, but it, it definitely has some interesting points. Um, I forgot how to say his name, but yeah, the head of the Church of Satan or whatever. But yeah, he's an interesting guy because like he grew up in Christianity and he saw the hypocrisy of it and he just absolutely hated it. And that's really what motivated him. Um, and really, I mean, I think what's so interesting, you know, as I've been reading the Satanic Bible is that how I think he saw because people try to repress themselves that it just when they did that, it just exploded when they finally gave in. So like he talks about indulgence in his book, like he greatly encourages it, but, but still having that self-control and not, you know, hurting other people or anything. And so like having that balance of, you know, indulging and then taking a break um, because, you know, he, I think he realized how unrealistic it was trying to be perfect all the time and how unhealthy that is really. That makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like more of balance, kind of like more what yoga and Buddhism encourages of like, don't forget mm -hmm. to like reconnect yeah. to your body and don't forget to do these things to take care of yourself. So you're not just like, go, 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 go. Because a lot of like, especially fundamentalists and some evangelical Christianity is so much about like the body is bad and we have to punish it. And it's that kind of thinking that can be really dangerous. Like, I was actually in treatment for an eating disorder this last year. And wow. it's really mm. because I was taught to view my body as like, well, it's like a means to an end, but it doesn't matter. And so like, sometimes it, it might seem right to starve yourself or it might make you more holy. And that was not good for me, obviously. Yeah. It ended up with me being in a really bad place. Like I found out last year I could have been hospitalized. It was that bad and so now i've had to oh wow i'm sorry with myself yeah but i've had to work with myself to like mm -hmm. move in a direction of like even when doctors are like now oh like oh gosh like you're kind of overweight on the bmi i'm like okay but i've been in treatment for an eating disorder i'm working with my nutritionist mm -hmm. just leave my body alone like i have to like even fight against diet culture in the medical field to be like look <laughs> Look, my body's just trying to process a decade of starving, okay? Leave it alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let it <Yeah>. heal. <laughs> and, like, actually fighting for myself in that way and advocating for myself, that's really hard to do when you mm -hmm. control, like, certain things. Yeah. And, like, you know, as I've learned when I left and, you know, experienced religious trauma is that people who've experienced trauma, like, they're disconnected from their bodies. And I think that is a big like there are several parts and different aspects and to the complexities of religious trauma. But I think being disconnected from our bodies is so awful because if you're disconnected from yourself, how can you heal? If you can't trust yourself, if you can't trust your thoughts, your heart and your body's evil, you're just stuck. And really you're dependent on other people, which is really what they want. And really, I think the first step to healing is like learning to listen to your body because your body and your mind is talking to you, like really communicating of what you need. And your nervous system is telling you also like who's safe to be around and who's not. And that's very important to like notice and look out for. 
I definitely agree with that. Like, I've it's been recommended to me to read like the body keeps score. Um, and I keep. Uh, yes, yes, do it. <laughs> it is. Oh, it's been amazing. But it really helps me a lot. And don't feel like you get to read it all at once. There's some things because in my healing journey, there are some things that are just really hard to process all at once. And sometimes I have to take breaks and like think on things for a day to process because it can be a lot to take in. That makes a lot of sense. One thing my nutritionist told me was like, you know, you, know, you may not have hunger cues right away and that's okay because your body doesn't trust you to give you hunger cues yet because you haven't fed it enough yet for it to trust you. You have to rebuild your trust with your own body. And that was just really interesting to me. I had never thought of it that way. Um, so like that, but that seems to be a pretty common theme within deconstruction. So um, like I think I had mentioned before, but my sister left Bob Jones around 2018 and then my brother left going to Pensacola around 20, late 2018. So by 2019, they were processing a lot of stuff and um, starting to open up about it. And like my sister now takes a lot of joy in plants and she's a very much a plant person. She likes to make her home really pretty and, and I do too, but I mean, she has a very particular way of doing it. She's really into graphic design, but that was all stuff that like, you know, she'll even talk to me about it. Like, you know, I was trained that like, we shouldn't like these things or we shouldn't focus on physical things or but now she's really into like cooking really good food and making your home cozy and all of these things that we were told were less important than being spiritual. Mm, yes. Um, and so before we end the interview, are there any last tips that you have for people who are stuck in these environments? Um, if you can get your identifying documentation, that seems to be a really big theme among religious parents. There was even a case, um, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but it was in Texas in 2015. This girl, um, Alicia Faith Pennington, her parents had not even registered their kids for social security numbers or birth certificates or anything. So they had to fight to prove that they were like legal citizens of the U.S., even though oh, they were wow. born in the U.S. Mm. Yeah, so I feel like identification abuse is a big one because uh, I had to fight, fight, fight to get my stuff. My parents only finally gave me my whole folder now of everything. Mm -hmm. Wow. Like, because they found it again this last year while they were moving. And I've asked for that for years. It has my whole medical records in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's important to show my doctors, you know, hey, this is the past. Like, maybe you could check up on this now because I have some chronic health issues and all of that's really important to have. Mm -hmm, yeah. Also, a lot of people getting out of these situations end up with chronic health issues from the stress and everything else. So if you, if your parents did take you to the doctor, which I know not everyone's parents did, yeah. But if mm -hmm. your parents did, like getting your medical info is really important. Your birth certificate, your passport, your social security cards, you can apply for jobs. Um, all your identifying stuff. Financial abuse seems to be a theme that comes up over and over. Either you worked for your family and were underpaid, which happened to me some. Or the wages that you did make for them, they try to take from you, which also happened to me. Um, and stuff like that, just because you didn't want to do what they wanted you to do. Um, so there seems to be like a lot of forms of emotional abuse that go along too with the physical. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. like really, like trying to make an exit plan is really important. What do I absolutely have to take with me to survive mm -hmm. on the outside? If my parents were to lock the door tomorrow, 
that's something a counselor even would tell me. He was like, why do you carry all your stuff everywhere all the time? And I was like, I don't know, actually. And I hadn't thought about it. And he said, well, did you feel safe leaving it at your parents' house? And I said, no. And he said, that's probably why. He said, but you have an apartment with a roommate now. You don't need to carry everything with you anymore. <laughs> yeah. I everything with me mm-hmm. all the time as a habit because I was used to my parents getting my stuff or whatever. So like that kind of stuff. Um, definitely having an exit plan, knowing what you need to take, who do you need to contact to make it happen, what you need to do if they, you know, you need a car or some means of transportation. Um, like preparing because like my counselor did tell me, I mean, he was right. There was a cost. I mean, it was worth it in the end, but there was a cost. And so trying to prepare for mm-hmm. what the damage yeah. could be and then mitigate it if possible. It's really hard to know though. Cause I feel like mm-hmm. parents like that are fundamentalist parents tend to be really unpredictable. So you may prepare <laughs> yeah. for like mm-hmm. a bunch of it, but then they'll do something weird. Like, um, for instance, when I was helping one of the Pentecostal girls leave, um, it kind of all just went down really quickly. We kind of knew that she was going to leave. We knew she was going to leave. We kept telling her she needed to leave. She was like, yeah, I know. And then finally one day, her parents said, yeah, you can't come home. And she decided to go back a couple days later and get her stuff while they were at work. And her dad, her parents had taken every picture of her in the house, turned it face down, like flipped all the photos down huh. like she was dead what the fuck or dead to them yeah uh. yeah and then like everything in her room was thrown around and like destroyed everything in her car was destroyed like the oh my gosh you call that thing that's like the the rubber thing that in your car door when it, you close your car door but there's like a rubber piece uh the door lining maybe yeah that thing that like seals it like yeah the the, the door lining i think something I like that there's a word for it like it the, keeps like the the air out or something yeah, or temperature yeah i know it's not a gas insulation i guess yeah, is the best thing for it maybe but i don't know there's also the thing that goes underneath the door when you close the door to the outside and it has the, the weather mm-hmm. stripping weather oh weather stripping okay yeah i think it's called weather stripping i don't know if it is on a car but it's something similar so he had reached up and like ripped it because he was so mad and dumped out the contents of her purse we got really scared. Like, we were like, okay, there's three oh. of us, like, AFAB people, and we're cleaning out a house where this person has gone through and destroyed it. And all of a sudden, I looked at Ashley and I said, where are his guns? Where's your dad's guns? And she said, I don't know. And I was like, could he possibly come home? She's like, I don't know. But we need to get out of here before four o'clock. Yeah. Well, I found out later that you can have a, a police officer come while you're removing mm-hmm. your own belongings yeah. in a situation where domestic violence is occurring, you can, like, if you're concerned that it might get violent, you can have an officer stand there and just wait for you to get your stuff out and then you can leave. I mm-hmm. didn't even know you could do that until we found out about it later after yeah. I actually get out. And I was like, wow, if I would ever do that in the future, I would call the police if I thought that the parent mm-hmm. was going to come back like that and might have guns because you just never know yeah another friend of ours out um we did it while their mom was on vacation at a conference so we knew for sure that they were out of town so we had a couple of days where we could get in there and get out and we knew that the mom wouldn't 
And then that mom also didn't give the kid the identification documents. They're non-binary and dumped their kid's identification documents like on the front porch and was like, uh, and I was like, wow. I'm sorry, like what a cunt, like yes. history bland. Oh my gosh. Yes. So that was another one of our friends. I think Ashley and Raquel left the Pentecostal church in, uh, was it, I think it would have been end of 2013. Yep, it would have been end of 2013. And Ash left their mom in spring of 2015. So it was like a year and a half later. There was just a bunch of us in a row and we all knew each other and we were all like, Ex fundamentalist going to college together, so we just kind of clicked together. So, one of our friends would start to have problems with their parents, we'd be like, We are here to save you. <laughs> it's like that the, the ex fundamentalist squad is here to save the day. Yes, it was a good feeling. I have a lot of nostalgia about it. <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much, Eleanor, for coming on the show and hearing your story um and thank you for your form yeah also um i wanted to say i do have a blog um, oh yes yes yeah please promote anything you want to so what's your blog called okay cool thank you um so my blog is elnorwritesthings.com mm-hmm. um you can also find it by googling my name i have a list of resources a more complete list of what i think you know people should think about and consider as they're getting ready to leave mm-hmm. um on that blog and our network of people that were leaving, we called it the unboxing project. And oh. we would really like to make a hotline so that we could possibly help more people. Oh, I love that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was in an um, article that um, a journalist wrote for Marie Claire about people who oh. other people leave. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'll link your blog. Um, in the show notes and yeah if you can send me that article and i'll also i'll link that article um in that too so we can see that and i'll send you the parental contract if you want oh yes do yeah that's always so interesting Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah thank you again for coming on the show and being vulnerable and sharing your story um and i guess this is like another one last question for me just for something i was curious about because like you know, as I've left, I've also kind of become an, I've really become an advocate or an activist helping people escape or deal with the falling out of their situation. So like, do you have a network of different advocates that you have uh, that y'all do things or I'm just curious because like, that's something I've thought about. Like, should we all like find each other somehow online, like band together? You know what I mean? Like different because I've met like a couple of people online who are ch- like, I guess you would say church abuse or religious abuse advocates for people. So I'm just curious, because I feel like if we all like network together, something could happen. And like, I even thought about maybe one day starting my own nonprofit to like help people leave, like get like financially, because the finances are a big issue. Because um, like there's one girl I'm trying to help who's like, she's stuck in the Philippines and she grew up in like a, the fundamentalist version of Christianity that they have in the Philippines. And it's been crazy, the things that have been going on. And she says she's been struggling financially too. So I've tried to help her 
promote her like GoFundMe stuff, but I was, I wouldn't be like, I was researching online. I'm like, is there an organization that can help these people? And there's really not <laughs> at all, which is sad. Most of it is like pretty small. Okay, so that's a really good question. What I know is that in 2013, there was a blog network and it was called the Spiritual Abuse Bloggers Network. I don't know if it really still exists in that form, but it had been posted, I think, on the No Longer Quivering blog. Um, there's also a blog called Lovejoy Feminism that's an ex-homeschooler. A lot of these bloggers organized around Homeschoolers Anonymous, and that's not really an active blog anymore, but it's still a great resource. I actually was on the editorial team for the blog at one point um, for about a year, and I would help edit and post survivor stories. That still has a lot of good stuff. Ryan Stoller is the guy who founded it, and he does an amazing job as an advocate. He's always studying new things that crop up, like in mm -hmm. the homeschooling world and what maybe people need to be aware of, that kind of thing. Um, and they try to form two different nonprofits. One mm -hmm. of them is still in existence, and it's um, Coalition for Responsible Home Education. They are great. And I've also done some work with them and like written my story of being homeschooled. So that's more on the like homeschooling, ex-homeschooling, religious homeschooling specifically fronts. They have some great, great stuff. Um, and they do a lot of media advocacy and let people know like, yes, like homeschooling can be good. We're not saying it's all bad. However, it's often used as a loophole for religious fundamentalists to abuse their children. And they go through like how um, what's the name of that? Oh, HSLDA, the Homeschool Legal Defense, how they'll actually go in and defend people who are abusing their children. And my parents were homeschool legal defense members. Um, so they'll go through like, you know, the harm that HSLDA has done, how HSLDA is tied to the far right, all that kind of stuff. Um, they also started a nonprofit called HARO, which is Homeschool Alumni Reaching Out. I don't think that HARO is still in existence to my knowledge. But that's really unfortunate because they were planning yeah. to have a safe house for people mm -hmm. to move out into. And it could be really, really cool. Because I know there's similar stuff for the people leaving the fundamentalist Mormon community and FLDS in Utah. Like I've watched documentaries on it. There are safe houses for those people to go to. And I think that would be great if we had something like that. Um, um. There's a newly formed nonprofit called the Vashti Initiative. And they've just started to get off the ground. And I Sorry, what is that called again? The, the Vashti Initiative. And you should definitely contact them. Um, yeah, please, just, please send me their link to their website. Yes, I will. Because I started um, doing some blogging work with them as well. Again, my background in journalism, I tend to do a lot of the writing advocacy part of it. So I just started volunteering with them recently. Just because I've seen... I was hesitant at first to get involved again. I was dealing with some personal health issues and I've seen survivor communities kind of eat each other sometimes and not be very kind or kind of really honestly fall into a lot of the same patterns that we all experience in yeah. mm -hmm. but it's just like the other side of it. And Vashti so far, like, I have not, I would just, I thought and watched them for a while, like for a year. And I told them this too. I was like, I just want to be sure there wasn't drama. And I have not seen any. They seem to be really healthy. I'm really, really impressed. Um, and I mean, there's a bunch of different Facebook groups that people could reach out to for support. Mm -hmm. um, 
I have really appreciated being part of the spiritual abuse Koinoa support group, and they're part of um, the website is spiritualabuse.org, and that lady's been running it since the 90s. They focus on the ex-Pentecostal movement, um, but I mean, they're really open to anybody from any really restrictive background. They also have Zoom meetings that you can go to. Like a lot of times I pop in on Tuesday night and we all go to a Zoom meeting and talk about, we'll watch a documentary or something that has to do with a cult and then discuss what our unhealthy church group did. And it's kind of like AA, but like for ex-Bundies, which is really cool. So I really- Yeah, that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, they're not real big, but I mean, they're doing really good work. Um, and I like the IFB Facebook group that I think I found you through. Yes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's some sweet, some drama. Um, yes, I know. I posted a few things in there and I'm like, some of them like came for me and I was like, back the fuck off. Wow. Okay. Yes. So I don't, I don't know about them. I also know that they recently kicked out someone I know from the spiritualabuse.org group because they were still in a church that they had just discovered was IFB and I was like but you can't this is how people figure out oh gosh I'm still in an unhealthy group like you got to support that and help mm -hmm. them yeah like, give them the resources to leave it not like ban them because you they happen to just realize that they're still part of a church that's still part of that thing because we all have those kind of things happen to us and be like oh gosh I didn't know this was part of this thing Anyway, so that seems kind of weird. I'm less, hes I'm more hesitant to recommend them. Um, what else? There's a group called Protect Homeschool Children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's and then, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm in one called Religious Trauma, I think, Recovery. That's a good one. And there's a, another group, Preacher Boys. Um, they're good too, because they're a podcast and they also have their own kind of Facebook group. But about that one, I would not recommend Exvangelical. That group had interesting. Okay. Drama. Um, oh. And I didn't think that they were very healthy for people who were just trying to process deconstruction because they seemed to want to jump on everybody who wasn't like deconstructed yet. Uh, Bro, you can't do that. No. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I'll definitely have to link a bunch of these resources and things um in the show notes but um thank you again um for coming on the show i really enjoyed this conversation um thank you to everyone who's listening this is speaking up with andrew pledger this podcast is distributed by anchor from spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast everything you need is in one space Anchor has the tools to record, edit, and distribute your podcast. And it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to start creating your own podcast today. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Please support the show by sharing, donating, or leaving a review. Your support is much appreciated.